I want to start with a question tonight. What are you afraid of? I really want you to engage this question with me tonight. What, what are you afraid of? Seriously. Now, I know sometimes we think, you know, fear is, is for children and, and psychotic people. It's not for us. But I think that the more that we look into the depth of our heart, um, my suspicion is that we'll see, when we actually stop and think about this um, and put distractions aside for a moment, that we'll find that, that fear looms large in the, in the inner recesses of our hearts. That at some point, we've seen the reality of our own limitations as human beings. We've seen the enormity of the world around us and the challenges outside of us. We've um, seen and experienced the vastness of this world and, and the apparent chaos of this world. Maybe some of you are experiencing that very personally um, over the last week with any kind of news that's come to you. And at one level or another, we find ourselves afraid, oftentimes deeply so, deeply afraid. In Ernest Becker's book, The Denial of Death, uh, which I've quoted from many times before, he proposes, and he proposes this backed by decades of decades of research and psychoanalysis, which is essentially the study of human beings and the study of what, what, who we are, what motivates us, how we work, how we function. He proposes that fear is at the core of human existence. We are afraid of life, he says. This was in 1971. And then he says, we're afraid of death. So whichever way you turn, we are afraid. And he gives this following, uh, the following harrowing description of our position in this world. So just, it's, it's a bit long, but I just want you to hear this. Um, it's almost humorous, but not really, because it's, it's got some truth to it. He says, man is reluctant to move out into the overwhelmingness of his world. The dangers of it, he shrinks, um, the, danger, the real dangers of it. He shrinks back from losing himself and the all-consuming appetites of others. From spinning out of control in the clutchings and clawings of men, beasts, and machines. As an animal organism, man senses the kind of planet he has been put down on. The nightmarish, demonic frenzy in which nature has unleashed billions of individual organismic appetites of all kinds. Not to mention earthquakes, meteors, and hurricanes, which seem to have their own hellish appetites. Life can suck one up, sap one's energies, submerge him, take away his self-control, give so much new experience so quickly that he will burst, make him stick out among others, emerge onto dangerous, uh, dangerous ground, load him up with new responsibilities which need great strength to bear, Expose him to new contingencies, new chances. Above all, there is the danger of a slip-up, an accident, a chance disease, and of course death, the final sucking up, the total submergence and negation. So he's not a Christian, but this is his honest assessment of our predicament, our situation in the world. And in this kind of place, fear is the flavor of the month every month. And while fear may be a common human experience, there's a true sense in which fear is also very personal. So it's very general in that we could describe something that is true of all human beings, but it's also very personal to you and to me. What plagues one of us may not plague another at all. Some of us are afraid of death, others of failure. Some of us are afraid of insignificance, of fading into oblivion without having made our mark on the world. Others 
don't have that concern at all, but are afraid of sickness or disease or suffering. Some are afraid of a lifetime of singleness, others of a failed marriage. So let me ask you, as I started, what are you afraid of? What are you afraid of? What is it that that causes a kind of gnawing in your gut, in your stomach? What, What is it that keeps you up at night? In your most honest moments, not when you're filled with distractions, but when you're thinking clearly about your world and about the life that you lead, what is it that keeps you up? Think of this. I want you to think of this right now, and I want you to be specific. Be specific. Think of something in your mind and let that come to mind. Now, why are we afraid and what's the big deal? Let me go there next. As I just, um, this quote I, that I just gave from Becker says, or exposes, the root of fear is our powerlessness. It's our finitude in, an, in a world of, of infinite possibilities and powers. Those who have the upper hand in situations are not afraid. They're not afraid. So if you throw a sheep into a cage with a lion, for example, um, I don't think that the lion's knees are going to be shaking very much because he has the upper hand. So he's not afraid. Now, sheep is a different story. No, we're afraid because we're limited. We're afraid because we're fairly powerless beings when it comes down to it. Take the fear of rejection as an example. We want to be loved deeply. We want to be accepted by others. We all long for this, and we want it badly. But we cannot, as one person, we cannot assure that this will be the case. We can't assure that we will not be rejected by somebody else, perhaps somebody that we love or somebody that we long for their approval so much. So fear, in this example, and I think generally, essentially arises from a basic lack of power to assure that certain things will or will not be the case in our lives. We could take numerous examples, but we won't go on in that exercise. It comes from this sense of powerlessness. We cannot assure certain results. So why is fear such a big deal? What's the problem with fear? Let me go back to Becker for a moment. He writes this. He writes, heroism is the first and is first and foremost a reflex of the terror of death. Heroism is first and foremost a reflex of the terror of death. That is, to put it in another way, our actions, our attempts at life, Our ambitions, our pursuits, our motivations arise out of our fears. And we all know this at some level. If you're afraid of failure, you're probably an extremely hard worker to a fault. You might be a perfectionist. If you're afraid of rejection, you're probably a big people pleaser. Probably marks the way that you interface and act in the world. If you're a hypochondriac, if you're afraid of being sick, if you have this fear of being being unwell, you're probably excessively, maybe even um, obsessively focused on eating right, on exercising well, on sleeping well, on using sanitizer before and after you go on the tea, and all of these other things. Our fears direct our actions, don't they? Our fears shape the way that we interface. And it's the extreme cases that show just how unhealthy this way of life actually is for us. So consider again the case of the hypochondriac, but the extreme case, one who who literally cannot leave his home because he's afraid of what he might catch. And these cases do exist in the world. We call it a psychosis or neurosis, but they exist in the world. His fear is dominating, debilitating, and life-killing. 
And actually, so is ours. Even though we may cope with it in ways that are far more socially acceptable and hard to detect by our friends and our neighbors. So fear is a big deal because it consumes us and then it directs our lives. It gives us marching orders for the way that we're supposed to live. So again, I ask, what are you afraid of? What is it that keeps you up at night? In our gospel story out of Mark 4, the issue of fear is brought to the foreground. It's brought up to the fore. The disciples, to set the scene again, are... um, is Is the scripture up? I think it can be up. Um, the, the disciples are on this, uh, they're on the boat, and it's evening. We know it's evening. Mark said it's evening, and it may well be dark. So they're out on the boat in the dark, and a great windstorm arose. It comes upon them, and the waves start breaking onto the boat, and so hard and so high that they start filling the boat that they're in. Now, I'm not a sailor. I don't have much experience at sea. I have watched Deadliest Catch a couple of times on the Discovery Channel. So that I, and I think you, can imagine that this scenario would be quite terrifying and not the most comfortable place to be. So in this precarious position, the disciples are are afraid. They're very afraid. Now, just for a moment, to note, in this story, their fear has a rapid onset of the storm. And there are times when our fears have rapid onset. The words from a doctor's mouth that we have cancer or that somebody that we love has cancer. The phone call from from somebody in our family about one of our close friends being in a car accident and being in critical condition in the hospital. Sometimes fear just has this rapid onset. There's a trigger and it's in our face. It's almost like uh, maybe it's better to say that those fears lurk beneath the surface like a bear in hibernation that gets awoken um, out of season, and then just find themselves in a rage, and we, we're, we find ourselves consumed by them. So that's the case here for the disciples. But sometimes, sometimes fear isn't like that at all. Sometimes fears evolve. They grow. They intensify over repeated experiences of the same thing after the same thing, of our finitude, of our powerlessness, of our insecurities. The repeated rejection from a girlfriend, or several girlfriends in a row, or a boyfriend, or several boyfriends in a row. The repeated experience of being passed over in a workplace, maybe one workplace, maybe the next workplace, for promotion, for for, uh, praise, for admiration for your work. The ongoing experience for many of us of seeing others in the limelight, more gifted than we are, more capable than we are, seemingly having a happier time with life than we are, and feeling like we're sort of left behind or left out. And in those situations, fear just has a way of, of gaining steam like a snowball going down the slope, just picking up more and more and more weight and gravity in our lives. But in either case, whether rapid onset like the story that we're looking at here or the slow-growing variety, the experience of fear brings us to a crossroads in our lives. It's at this point in in this story that we need to take attention of the fact that Jesus is asleep in the stern of the boat on a cushion doesn't really go well with the story. So these details didn't have to be given by Mark, but they're given to us in such a way that they almost startle us by by virtue of their presence in a story about a ship at sea in a storm. And then we read of this kind of peaceful moment that Jesus is having getting his rest in in the night. Here the disciples were overwhelmed. They were afraid. They were literally fearing for their very lives. And then there's Jesus, their teacher, their leader, the one that they had given up everything to follow him, asleep in the stern of the boat on a cushion. Think back for just a moment to the the picture of the lion and the sheep in the cage. The one with the upper hand does not need to fear, does he? 
Similarly, the one who made the sea does not fear the sea when the sea roars. He is more powerful. He is more powerful. But from the disciples' perspective, and oftentimes from our perspective, Jesus is in the wrong place. Jesus isn't doing the right thing. And they infer, and this is the crux of this story, and this is the incredibly dangerous move that we make from fear of all kinds in our lives. They infer from Jesus' position in the boat that he does not care. That's the inference. He's asleep, he doesn't care. He's asleep, he doesn't care. Teacher, they say in verse 38. Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? You should be right here at our side, Jesus. You should be consoling us and comforting us. You should be looking out for us. You should be be doing anything but being asleep, Jesus. Clearly, you don't care. Clearly, you're missing something. How often do we think that way about God? God, where are you? Why is my life the way that it is? Why am I still not married? Why are my kids rebellious? Why doesn't my husband notice me more than he does? Why didn't I get into that program? Why did I fail that class? Why did my daughter get cancer? Why isn't my future more clear and more certain? Why am I so lonely? Why was I so taken advantage of? Why are you sleeping, Lord? Why are you sleeping? Why are you not here? You're not present in the way that I need you to be present, in the way that I want you to be present. You're not addressing these things in my life in the way that I need you to address them. So in our fear, we cry this with the disciples. Lord, don't you care? Don't you care? I'm confident that some of us are in that place right now, tonight. That our hearts are as tumultuous and unquieted as the sea on that stormy night that's narrated in Mark 4. We are afraid. When we're truly honest, we're afraid. And we're saying, Lord, don't you care? Don't you care that my life is this way? So what does Jesus do? He wakes up and he says something to the storm. Peace. Be still. Peace. Be still. And then he gently rebukes his disciples. Why are you so afraid? Why? Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Do you hear that question? The presence of fear, a gnawing, panicking, consuming fear, is the sign of a lack of faith. Go on into chapter 5, and he says to the man whose daughter is sick, and then as some now report to him, to this man, and to Jesus who has actually died, Jesus says to this man, do not fear, only believe. Fear is the antithesis of faith. 
When fear gets the upper hand, unbelief throws a party and has a heyday. Fear says, yes, God cannot change you. Yes, God cannot change your circumstances. It says, yes, God does not care about you. God does not care about the situation that you find yourself and the danger that you're in. And it says, no, God is not on your side. But Jesus speaks. He speaks into the storm. In Psalm 46, verse 6, we read these words. He utters his voice. The earth melts. And that's exactly what happens here in Mark 4. Into the chaos of the night, into the the chaos of the storm, into the uncontrollable circumstances that causes great fear in the disciples, Jesus speaks peace. Be still. And his words of peace to the storm are in fact words of peace to the hearts of you and of me. Peace, be still. My children, I have power. I am with you. I have not left you. I may not be present in the way that you want me to be present in your life, but I am here and you do not need to be afraid. With the psalm, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. You are never alone. Never alone. You are never abandoned. You are never apart from me. Even though you are a weak and powerless sheep, you are always on the side of a lion. The lion of Judah. The lamb who was slain. You will never encounter a power. Never in your life. You'll never encounter a circumstance. You'll never encounter a fear that is greater than the power that I possess in my being. In the world you will have trouble, Jesus says. But take heart. Take heart. I've overcome the world. I've overcome death. I've overcome cancer. I've overcome your failures of yesterday, of the week before, of five years ago that you can't let go of. I've overcome those things. I've overcome rejection. I've overcome futility. I've overcome your most vicious and dangerous enemy at the cross. I have overcome. Be still. Peace. Be still. Be still and know that I am God. Be still. Do not be afraid. When you walk back out of this place tonight into the storms of your life, into whatever it is that you're facing, the struggles, the hardships, the questions that go unanswered, take heart. Don't be afraid. Do not fear. Only believe. You see, the, the the key reality is not what is going on around you. But it's who is with you. It's not what is going on around you. But it's who is with you in the midst of that. And that literally changes everything in our lives. It changes everything in our lives. And this is where the story ends. There is still fear in the story. There's great fear. But the fear is the fear of being in the presence of a power so great, so awesome, so mysterious, so other than me. This is what now overwhelms them, the disciples. So they ask in verse 41, who then is this that even wind and sea obey him? Who is this one who is with us in the boat? Who is this one? 
He's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the Creator, the Conqueror, the Mighty Savior, the Redeemer, the Sovereign Lord, the Sovereign Lord who oversees all of time and who oversees the details of your life down to the finest degree. He is the one who is with you. And He loves us with an everlasting love. He gave Himself for us. He poured out His blood for us. He is for us. And He cares. He cares about you. He knows what it's like to be in pain. He poured out His blood for us. He knows what it's like to suffer. He knows what it's like to weep and to experience the Father's absence. He knows what it's like to be excessively tired and fatigued. And He's present. He's present in Boston. He's present in your life and he's present in my life. He's present in the circumstances where you can't see his presence or you don't feel his presence. He's present there. He's present in your marriage. He's present with your children. He's present with your studies. He's present at your workplace. He's present in your neighborhood. He's present. He's present in those places of your greatest fears and your deepest sorrows. He is there and he's present. And he's not just present, but he's able He's able. Be still and know that I am God. Not just a warm, fuzzy feeling. I'm God, the creator of the universe. What are you afraid of? What are you afraid of? Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Have you not known my presence and my love? Have you not tasted my goodness? Do you not know this? Do you not believe this? Do you not trust me even when I am present in a way that you, in, in a way that you don't want me to be present? Peace, he says. Be still and know that I am God and that I love you and that I'm with you. Know that in your heart. Know that in the place of your deepest regret, your deepest failure, and your deepest fear. Are you afraid Is there something that's literally tearing you up on the inside that's causing knots in your stomach when you have time to actually think and be quiet and be alone? Jesus knows you. He knows you. And he knows the situation that you're in. But he's there. And so the word is to stop focusing on your own powerlessness, which is the source of your fear, and to look away from you, and to look away from your circumstances, and to look to him, to look to him who has more power than any power that you confront, who has greater love for you than any love that you could ever know. Jesus said to Thomas, do not disbelieve, but believe. Stop being afraid. Believe. Have faith. Surrender. Trust. Yield. Give over. Believe in me. Have faith in my love, my care, my providence, my sovereignty, my promises, my presence. These are real things. These are not just things that we repeat again and again. These are real things that change the way that we live. Have faith in me. Give me your life. Put it in my hands. Trust me. Be shaped by me, by my love, by my life, and not by the paralyzing fear that erodes your life inside of you. Surrender. I pray 
that God would bless his church with renewal. That's been the topic of our Lenten series. With a freshness of our life in him. And I really believe that fear is at the root of our unbelief. That fear is at the root of our crustiness as followers of Jesus. And I just pray that God would pour his spirit on you and on me. That he'd speak to us in that place where we're most deeply afraid. And that you would walk out of this place tonight with a fresh sense a fresh sense of God's power and of his presence and of his words, peace. Be still. Amen.